Hello, and welcome to Eagle Alpha's Profiting from Data podcast with Neil Hurley. Today's episode features an interview with Jonathan Kay, founder and CEO of Aptopia, a global leader in mobile market intelligence. Jonathan founded Aptopia in 2011 as a competitive intelligence tool for companies with few avenues to digitally benchmark themselves against their peers. Now, Aptopia provides accurate estimates of downloads, revenue, and usage for all mobile apps to a wide range of clients, with financial services being the fastest growing client segment. Jonathan explains Aptopia's data gathering process, partnering with app developers, and collecting billions of publicly available metadata points for their relational algorithms. Additionally, they talk about growth in private markets, the importance of a robust compliance process, regional variations for mobile app data, and what's to come in 2022. Please enjoy this dialogue between Jonathan Kay and your host, Neil Hurley. Jonathan, thanks very much for joining today. So you're in Boston at the moment? I am, yes, alive and kicking Northeast here. Very good, very good. And have you had the opportunity to travel this year or have you been homebound? Yeah, so I would say mostly homebound. We're starting to go back into the office in Boston. And I actually just came back this week from a trip in New York meeting with a bunch of clients. And so don't know the exact percent, but I think we're seeing about like 60% of our finance clients like starting to either be in the office or like being comfortable meeting for lunch or drinks or some sort of in-person dialogue. So. Yeah, that's great to be seeing people again. And so how, how many people are in Aptopia as a company? And is, is everyone based in Boston? Yeah, so uh, we're about 75 right now. And I would say Boston probably represents 40 of those. Our engineering team is based in Ukraine. And we have about like 10 remote completely remote employees and growing. Yeah, yeah and growing. I, I can imagine. And how long has the company been around? So I founded the company in 2011. So we, we actually just celebrated our 10-year anniversary earlier in the year. Excellent. And you had a fundraising earlier this year as well. We did, yeah. We raised a $20 million Series C from uh, ABS Capital as well as a bunch of internal investors who participated as well. Great. Congratulations. So for people that don't know Aptopia, what's a quick summary of what you do and the type of data products that you have? Yeah, so Aptopia is a, it's a mobile market intelligence firm, which essentially means that we can accurately estimate downloads, revenue, and usage for every mobile app in the world. And so the business started as kind of a competitive intelligence tool, right? So you take McDonald's or Target, right? And McDonald's has a very, very deep understanding of how their own mobile slash digital performance is but they don't have a ton of benchmarks, right? And so even if you just take COVID as an example, McDonald's would tell you, you know, and I'm making up numbers, like our digital orders were up 180% year over year as a result of COVID. Your instinct is to think like, that's phenomenal. But the truth is, is that if Chick-fil-A or Burger King or Taco Bell saw their digital orders up 225%, means something very different for the 180%, Mm. right? And so we've kind of built really nice business about using like market data and competitive intelligence to help brands better understand and benchmark their performance and make decisions based on that. And, you know, over the last three years, we've seen, we've started to see a massive uptick in 
how financial services is using that data as well, right? And just as McDonald's wants to understand how their competitors are doing, I think hedge funds are looking to measure those markets as well. And, you know, you've seen a really, really strong correlation, like really tight correlations between how people act on mobile and how people act not on mobile. And like you can back into things like same store sales, number of transactions, number of customers, just from measuring things like how much time is spent in app, right? And so we've grown at a rapid rate in the financial services industry. But ironically, it wasn't why we built the business and like still doesn't even represent our largest revenue source today. It's just our fastest growing. Understood. So when you started the company, you were speaking exclusively to corporates for insights? That's correct. Yeah, just it was like a black box, right? I mean, like it was uh, five, six years ago, this data wasn't as readily available as it is today, right? For Target to like understand how Walmart and Amazon was performing was like, I don't know, it was, again, it was a black box for them. And so like there was a high desire, high need for the information. And now the granularity of the data we can report on is dramatically increased. So the breadth of questions we can actually help brands answer is like increasing year over year. Understood. And tell us a little bit about the, the data gathering process and, and how has that evolved over the last couple of years? Yeah. And so like core way in which we collect our data today is we have app developer partners. So we have you know about 120,000 apps who directly share their app analytics accounts with Apptopia which means that they're giving us access to their real downloads, real revenue, and real usage data. And in addition to that, Aptopia is collecting billions and billions of like publicly available metadata points. And what we do is, is we're essentially building relational algorithms between the metadata movements that we see and like the real performance data that developers share with us so that we're able to build these proprietary algorithms that provide estimates of how an app is performing based only on the publicly available information. Okay. That's been the root of our data collection since inception, essentially. I think you'll see some nice evolutions of that over the coming years. But today, that's how how we model. Understood. And so for people that are using the apps, I know there were some developments this year with iOS, but has it become more challenging in terms of terms and conditions and people allowing for their data to be shared? Has that evolved? Tons, tons. Like, I think we should separate Aptopia from what's happening in the industry just a little bit. As a consumer, you would download an app and you wouldn't really have a ton of visibility into what data that app was collecting or not collecting on you. I don't even know the quantity of billions of dollars that are spent and earned in the advertising industry but it certainly has incentivized people to try and collect as much information about you as humanly possible, right? And so what you're seeing happen now is the app stores are actually like doing two things, which is they're providing a bunch of like forced transparency for consumers where you either have to opt in to share your data or they're explicitly showing you the data that an app collects on you. And you're then able to like make a decision whether you still want to work with that app or not. The second thing that they're doing is they're like removing the ability for you to provide certain permissions to apps. And so I think what happened previously was like, they gave you the ability to like turn on a bunch of permissions. Apps would ask you to turn on those permissions. Just like you'd say yes through a terms of service and click through, you were just kind of clicking through because you wanted to use the ad blocker or the VPN or whatever the app was. And so they're making it harder for consumers to like 
unintentionally do these types of things. And this is awesome for the industry, I think. In general, it does not have a major impact on Aptopia because we don't collect data on consumers directly. Like an app developer shares their analytics with us, which is aggregated at the app day country level. So we actually don't see ever like what a specific device or a specific consumer is doing. There are providers in the space today that like use panels to collect data, which are essentially just third-party apps like these VPNs or security apps or utility apps or ad blocker apps where they provide that app to consumers as a free service. And in exchange, consumers are giving them the ability to see what's happening on their device. That's where I think you're going to see like the biggest impact for iOS changes. The advertising industry, which has been like trying to figure out who you are for a long time, is going to get hit pretty hard by these changes, but not what we're doing at the moment. Understood. And just on that point about getting insights into people, like did you find when you started the business and you're dealing with corporates, they're really trying to get down into specific individuals are doing it's very different to what the investment community is looking for. So how did you find when you went to financial services as a vertical, did you find a lot more scrutiny from a compliance perspective? And did you have to change anything with your products to facilitate entry into the asset management group? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So we're a little bit unique in that we kind of made a commitment to our board very early on in our in our company to like not have any like Death Star scenario for those Star Wars fans where like, we just can't have like a single fail point. And so they didn't allow us to really like wisely, he didn't allow us to like build any gray technology where like Apple or Google could just decide that we wanted to shut that down. And so we were pretty clear with brands who you're right, do want more specific information. We were pretty clear with them from the beginning that like, this is the level of granularity that we're going to provide. And here are the questions we can help you answer. Like if you look at us versus our competitors, we've stayed pretty far away from ad tech and we've stayed pretty far away from advertising intelligence in general. Hmm. And that's not because people don't want it. It's very high demand product actually. And we get a lot of flack for not having it, but anything that you're doing in either the ad tech or the advertising intelligence space is like, requires you to get a great deal of information on individual users. And it's just not an area that we've desired to play in. And so the shift to financial services was actually like pretty simple in that regard because we didn't have a ton to hide. I, ironically, I think financial services wants the same granularity of information that brands do. They're always asking for more information, more granularity, more raw data. They obviously ask more questions than brands do. But I think they still want the same level of granularity for what it's worth. Understood. So just on that point, what type of use cases have you been seeing over the last couple of years with the dynamic around COVID? I imagine people are trying to understand what's happening online with e-commerce. What are the more interesting or differentiated questions that you've seen in relation to Aptopia's data? There's a lot. I mean, I think like the basics are people are trying to understand like consumer trends even on like a more macro level. And so I'm sure you've heard this question a lot, but like, when do I get back into airlines? <laughs> and so people are trying to understand, like, especially in COVID, like, how is this impacting things, right? And so like, we made a lot of our investors money because our data pointed to home improvement before it was obvious. 
And so I think people are just looking to understand like thematic trends as it pertains to COVID and timing of those. I'll even give you like a great example, which is like cruise lines. I'm not a big cruise guy myself, but Royal Caribbean is like an interesting indicator of the cruise line industry on a whole. Mm. And with like new variants of COVID that are coming out right now, that industry is getting hammered, like absolutely hammered, Royal Caribbean specifically. However, if you look at the mobile trends for Royal Caribbean, their downloads and the usage of their app are like not only holding constant, they're like growing. Like I don't have the exact number, but downloads of the Royal Caribbean app are up well over 500% year over year. Those are like actual customers. There's not like any fun in downloading the Royal Caribbean app if you're not going on a cruise or planning to go on a cruise, right? Mm-hmm. That's the primary and only motive of the app. And so I think it's just a really interesting use case because there's a lot of fears and news cycles and sentiment that is driving the stock market right now. And I think it's important to understand like one of those trends are like more constant and one of those trends are just like fleeting moments in a week, right? And so, you know, I personally haven't done a ton of research on the cruise industry, but there would be a thesis that our research team was sharing with me that says like, hey, like people are being scared and they're dropping cruise lines, but like customers aren't. Yeah. Right. Like the public is perceiving it one way, but like customers are still downloading and using the app. And so it's like almost like a benchmark even of like what people are doing versus what people think they're doing, you know, and that's where a lot of opportunity lies in my opinion. Understood. And in terms of the granularity of the data, like what type of insights can you provide separate to downloads and engagement? Can you look at what specific types of actions people are doing within the app? Uh, No, so we can't see because we're not tracking things on device. I can't see that they're like buying these types of cruises or clicking these buttons. We can just see like how many people are downloading it. Are those unique people? What's the, how much time are people spending an app? What's the ratio between people who open the app daily versus monthly? And there's good indicators in there. But actually, man, I can give you another like really interesting example. So we do a lot of work with, restaurants and like the whole QSR space. Mm. And one of the ways that we advise clients to analyze the data is we always think that you should like analyze a company versus the benchmark. And so in this specific instance, we were looking at Dunkin' Donuts and how Dunkin' Donuts performs versus like the QSR benchmark. So we took like the top 40 QSR apps, we created like a usage curve for them. And then we were comparing Dunkin' Donuts to that. And in about August or September of this year, what we saw was that Dunkin' Donuts, which was previously trending like similarly to its peers, it like broke off from the group and people were starting to spend like about 18 to 19% more time in the Dunkin' Donuts app than their peer group, which is like a massive shift. And one of the data sets that we have is something called like product X-ray. Mm. which allows us to programmatically see what features exist inside an app. So while I can't see what features you're using, I can see what actually features the developer is deploying. And through that technology, we were able to see that Dunkin' Donuts actually launched an integration with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. And so they added this functionality where now when you're driving in your car, if you want to like reorder your favorite coffee with your last payment method, you can do that on your car screen and then it will update your navigation and take you to the closest coffee shop. 
Wow. Which, by the way, is freaking phenomenal use of technology. One. Two, when we looked at the other 40 QSR apps, like their peer group, zero of them had integrated with CarPlay. And so like kind of like interesting use case where you could actually start to like create feature attribution around how a developer use different integrations and technology and features to increase engagement. Mm. And there's like a lot of additional examples of companies and grocery stores and retailers like implementing things like skip the line, curbside pickup, all of these features that were the difference between somebody feeling comfortable engaging with your brand during COVID and not. And you could actually track back how some people won more market share during COVID as a result of like more quickly integrating features that could be tied back to either convenience or safety as well. Understood. And for people engaging with the Aptopia data, do you have both underlying data delivery as well as like a dashboard? Yeah. So we provide access to the data in a lot of ways. You can log into Aptopia.com. And we have a whole suite of tools and features that allow you to like analyze the data directly. And so a lot of our thesis in this company was we wanted to build a data product that like a non-analyst could get value from and extract insights from. So that's been like a big investment. Over the last 18 months, we've invested very heavily into data integrations. So if you are looking to get access to raw data, we have an API, a custom export tool, we partner with companies like Amazon, Snowflake. We make the data available via S3. And so we're pretty flexible in terms of getting you the data you need in a way that's like convenient for you to use. Understood. And have you seen any changes in terms of within the investment side, in terms of, say, private equity or venture capital coming to you and trying to validate growth rates and private companies or small companies, are those type of use cases coming up? You're saying like longer tail investment VCs versus just the big companies? Yeah. So say VC is looking at investing in a B2C company that has an app. Are those type of investors coming to you and saying, we'd like to use your data to validate growth rates in private companies? Yeah. So the short answer is like 100% yes. The only thing I would clarify in what you said is that private equity firms and VC firms have been interested in that for a couple of years. Yeah. So actually, that trend isn't like necessarily a new trend to me. I think maybe what's happening now is just that they're willing to invest more money into the product. And the reason primarily being is that a lot of these companies that they're investing in, I think digital is just making up a larger percentage of their overall user base. And so maybe they thought it was like a nice to have signal previously, yeah. and now it's becoming more of a need to have. Yeah. But, but like the good PE firms have actually been doing that for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've seen it in our business as well. They're definitely spending more on data around either deal origination or, or due diligence. That's really interesting to hear about how the data is being used. I think most listeners will know that there was significant news this year, which was unexpected, with one of your competitors being fined for a fraud-related matter by the SEC. For those people that aren't aware of it, it'd be great just to summarize what happened and hear your thoughts about the whole episode. Yeah, happy to. And I guess I, I'll just start by saying like, I can only speak to what has allegedly happened, you know? So like, I'm just going to comment on my interpretation of what the SEC posted publicly, but I can't state for sure that I know what happened, you know, just my interpretation of the issue. But my interpretation is that essentially what was happening was similar to Aptopia, 
App Annie has relationships with a lot of app developers. And so app developers are sharing their confidential app analytics accounts with us. And you know, you heard me allude to it previously, but what we're doing is we're using that data to like train an algorithm. And then that algorithm is feeding just publicly available information into it and it's creating an output. But the key there is that we use the developers who give us their real data as a means of training an algorithm. And then it kind of stops there, right? And like, there's a very thick wall there. And then, you know, you're kind of like actually running the algorithm and using publicly available data as inputs. What AppAnnie was allegedly doing was they were actually, instead of having the output of the model go directly to the customer, they had the output of the model go to a team of engineers in China, which had access to the confidential data. And they then used the confidential data to have the error rate of their data. So they were manually using confidential data to make the output of their algorithms more accurate, which like more or less is like pretty much sharing the confidential data. And Hmm. there's like a whole bunch of interesting quotes from the SEC article, which indicate that like the CEO at the time was asking them to like do it in a very strategic way where it got close to actuals, but not obviously actuals, you know what I mean? So kind of like intentional and malicious there. And then they were telling hedge funds that they weren't doing that. Yeah, It was like messy. And the sad part is they were doing this for five years. They sold a lot of data to people that they shouldn't have and like hurt the industry a little bit, right? Like they made companies like mine look like we weren't doing as good a job as them because we were doing it the ethical way. Understood. Which is sad. Yeah, yeah, understood. And what's changed as a result of all this? I mean, what has it meant for you as a firm on the compliance side? Is it making it more difficult in terms of compliance processes? And as a result, are you expecting that compliance scrutiny around data products is going to increase as a result of what's happened at AppAnnie? Yeah, so you may be surprised to hear this, but our compliance processes have actually become easier as a result of this. And the reason is because one of the things that I learned from the AppAnnie incident was that we should just be more explicit and more proactive with hedge funds. And so there was a whole bunch of things that I knew we weren't doing. We didn't like proactively communicate with people because I don't know, it just felt like too much information. And so one of the things that we took away from the AppAnnie instance was we hired a bunch of ex-SEC lawyers to advise us for about 45 days. And we created like a 12 to 14 page document that outlines all of our practices from a compliance perspective, as well as how we handle our data. And now as part of our sales process, we proactively provide that document to all hedge funds. Hmm. And like, it's awesome because we're answering like more than the questions they had. One, two, like it provides some consistency in the space. And so, you know, maybe like large hedge fund asks you a lot of questions, small hedge fund only asks you a couple of questions. We provide the same information about ourselves now to all hedge funds. And so we've been getting very, very positive feedback on this process and it's actually like made the compliance process like significantly quicker and easier for us as well. And the learning was like, like people want more detail than I thought they wanted. And so we took the time to like put that together and share that with all of our potential clients. Understood. 
Understood. And separate to compliance, is there any other conclusions that you got to reflecting on the last few months or made you think differently about Aptopia or the industry after the whole Appani affair? Lots of things. I'm just happy we are who we are, man. I know that's a weird thing to say, but like I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm, you know, still not as big as my competitors. And I have felt proud to be who I am this year and looking forward to the next few years because there's no bullshit or scar tissue here that we have to deal with moving forward. We can continue to do things the right way. And like it creates opportunities for us, like partnerships with Bloomberg that are interesting and have the opportunity to expand. And we have those opportunities because when they Google our name, there's not TechCrunch articles about us. And so I'm just happy to be the slow and steady right now, I think, and looking forward to what we can do with that over the coming years. Yeah. We were giving predictions for 2022 in our recent annual review. And one of those predictions was that we were going to see a lot of market share shift within the app category. What's your own perspective? What are you allowed or able to say in relation to how investors are thinking about Aptopia's data relative to the peer group? Are people changing providers? What's been the investor response? Yeah, it depends. Like a lot of investors don't care, right? It's like an interesting, (laughs) I don't know if it's healthy or not healthy, but I think a lot of investors either don't care or they created contracts where like, they're just not liable for these types of mistakes. And so like, it's, they're kind of legally covered. They're like disappointed in app any, but then they may or may not actually change their behavior. And so I think like you will see market share shift but not because of the compliance thing, actually. I think you're going to see market share shift because a lot of the ways in which our competitors collect data rely on certain permissions and privileges that, as we talked about earlier in this discussion, are like going away. <laughs> and so we're actually hearing that like the people who switch are switching because they're seeing degradations in the quality of the data sources. And they're now understanding and associating the change in data quality back to the fact that like they couldn't do the things that they were doing previously. And so that's the like part that caught me off guard about this whole thing is that I thought people would just be turned off by like the character of the company. And we haven't seen that as much as I like, as I would have hoped, honestly, but people fundamentally care about data accuracy and quality more than anything in the industry. And we are hearing consistently that there is a degradation in quality there that is the cause for the shift if there is a shift. Understood. And what about pricing? Has it meant that there is more price volatility? I imagine you have an opportunity to maybe price your your data products more aggressively or in a way that incentivizes people to come to Aptopia. What are you able to say about that dynamic? Yeah, I think like there was some legacy pricing in the space that's going away pretty quickly. We were pretty squarely below that. And so we haven't actually changed our approach to pricing dramatically. I think we're just seeing some bigger firms like start to come down to reality a little bit, which is honestly probably healthy for the industry. From our perspective, like we have not raised our prices or been aggressive with pricing as a result of this. It's not my personal style. We will release some products in the next year that aren't in the industry currently. And we will charge aggressively for those products because they're data sources that people don't have today. 
And so in general, like for us, it's not blood in the water. It's they're distracted and we've used their distraction as an opportunity to like go into the dungeon a little bit and develop some new interesting things. And we will price those new and interesting things aggressively. But for now, we, we're not changing the pricing of our core product because we think it's fairly priced. We get some friction, not a lot of friction. And so yep. it feels like the pricing is actually right for the industry today from our vantage point. Specifically. Okay. And on that point, looking out into 22, are you able to say much about some of those new features, our data product releases? Not a ton, unfortunately. But what I'll say is, is that like, there are very ethical ways to get interesting data. And the delta between the ethical way and the unethical way to get it is just time and patience, right? Mostly people are just looking to cut corners and get the data very quickly, which is why they take the approaches that they take. And like, we have invested heavily into time and patience, and we're looking forward to releasing some like very interesting granular products that are extremely above board in the coming year. Excellent. I'm always interested to know if there's any regional variations on insights. For example, is it easier to get insight into the U.S. consumer relative to Europe? We always get questions around Asia and specifically China. What's the dynamic around the app category in, in China and getting access to insights there? Yeah, I think China is like mostly a black box. I don't think that's different for any of the major players in our space. Feedback that we've been hearing is that typically approaches that are exclusively focused on panels tend to perform very well in the United States and have like meaningful drop off in like Latin America, MENA, EMEA, like some of these growing regions. And so we've actually seen like meaningful increase in customers from Latin America and MENA as a result of the fact that some of our other competitors panels like just don't have enough sample size in those regions in order to create accurate estimates and our algorithm based approach like allows us to get much closer so i do think there is some regional bias there just because from a panel you need like a meaningful sample in order to there's a floor there that if you can't reach that number of users of your app, then it doesn't, the process just won't work. So we've seen success in those like emerging markets, actually. Understood. When you look out into next year and you think about year ahead and forecasting and what's getting you excited, is it going to be specific verticals that do better? Are there going to be specific types of categories within app or types of apps that you're most interested in? Are there going to be regions like you were saying that will outperform other regions? Yeah, I would just say that uh, what has me most excited is none of those things. <laughs> okay. We've just figured out a way that we think we can make it easier for people to work with the data. That should make the total addressable market for this type of data much larger. And that's something I'm personally excited about because I think you have thousands and thousands and thousands of firms which trade on public markets and only hundreds of firms today which are buying alternative data. And we're very eager to try and close that gap. Agreed. I was writing in our newsletter out to our subscribers yesterday about the Yipit data transaction. And to me, and the significant investment made by Carlisle, to me, that's a major vote of confidence in the industry and the scope for new consumers of data to engage with all these different data sources. So when you think about the 
I suppose what sometimes gets called the unsophisticated user. So people perhaps that don't have the skill sets of working with big data or you know, significant data science or engineering expertise. What are the type of changes that you're making to make it easier for the average consuming entity to work with Aptopia's data? Yeah, so first off, I'll just say like, we're fans of Yipin and like very excited for Vin and those guys. They've worked really hard to get to that point and like lots of love coming from Boston to going their way. I couldn't agree more that it's a strong indicator for the industry. The investors that put that money in were very sophisticated <laughs> and clearly saw something that we all have the opportunity to benefit from. So that's exciting. I'd actually argue that what they saw was similar to what we just discussed, which is that the long tail is like attainable, right? Like you just have to take the time to address it. Some of your question will get into proprietary things, which I'd prefer not to share. Yeah. I guess the point I'll just make is that like today you have to have some understanding of mobile data in order to like translate it into a language that is usable for your firm. And we're trying to like reduce the amount of expertise, which is needed industry expertise, which is needed in order to translate the data into a language that makes sense for the decisions you need to make in your firm, regardless of if you're a asset manager or like CVS or Walgreens. Like I think the problem exists in both places, honestly. I would agree that I think between partnerships, I think between the data consumer, we're getting a bit more sophisticated, but also the data vendors like yourselves, making it easier for people to interact or engage with the data. I think all of these bode really well for the year ahead. And Jonathan, it's been great to hear from you today. Thank you for taking the time. Great to hear that Aptopia is thriving and uh, look forward to hearing more from you in 2022. Yeah, appreciate you having me and appreciate all your support and uh, looking forward to it. Thanks, Jonathan. That's a wrap for this episode of Profiting from Data. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by Eagle Alpha, the pioneer in alternative data. To learn about Eagle Alpha's solutions for data vendors and buyers, please visit eaglealpha.com.